this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. The Jay Allen Show is streaming now on safetyfm.live. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. This is also known as the Jay Allen Show. So why did I call it Safety FM today? Well, we're here today because we're going to celebrate our two-year anniversary. Yeah, believe it or not, it's already been two years. So let's get that one started. It begins in Orlando, Florida and travels steadily to the West, beaming across North America and planet Earth and into your head. The world of safety never stops. And now, the Safety FM podcast and broadcast with Dr. Jay Allen. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. So I have to tell you from the very start, I normally have a very hard time with retrospective episodes, but I don't feel like this is what this is going to be. And yes, I know that the radio station is also called Safety FM, just in case if you were wondering that from the very beginning. But as I look at this, I go, wow, what an amazing time this has been over these last two years. Coming to you twice a week on a weekly basis, having some discussions on what's going on inside of the safety world. And that's just on this show. We're not talking about what Safety FM, the radio station has become because of you. So as I go through this today, what I would like to do is really thank you for allowing us to do what we do here at Safety FM and you taking a listen to The Jay Allen Show over the last couple of years. I know that it originally started off with a different name, more along the lines of Safety FM, but man, has it been an experience so far. So as we go through this today, what I would love to do is have a discussion with you about some of the episodes that we've done so far and really sit back and enjoy some of the things that have occurred till this point with Safety FM because of you, the listener. So let's not hold up much longer and let's get that thing started right now on The Jay Allen Show. You are listening to a renowned safety expert, Dr. Jay Allen on Safety FM. Changing safety cultures, one broadcast and one podcast at a time. Join the fun on social media and find us on Facebook at Safety FM. So originally when we started the show, it really was more along the lines of being able to answer questions and take deep dives into things that were going on inside of the world of safety. As we progress more and more, we decided to make it more along the lines of an interview style show and then still have the opportunity to take the dive of what's going on inside of the world of safety with the mini episodes. And that's just giving my perspective. But what I wanted to do was really sit down with some people and take these deep dives into some of the conversations on what was going on inside of the safety world. And I have to tell you, the first person that I approached in regards to being interviewed for the show was Dr. Scott E. Geller. And boy, when he came on, it was an exciting time. It was a whirlwind. I loved every single moment of the episode. And I would love to be able to share a little bit of it with you here today. So take a listen. It's really, how do you drive it to that CEO? How do you drive it to that line level employee where they can totally understand that you're trying to do this, what's in the best interest for them? 
Oh, that's such a great, that's, that is a key question. And it has to start with them wanting to improve. I mean, what, you know, it's interesting that when you have a fatality or a serious injury, all of a sudden, well, we better do something about safety. That's reactive. It's tough to be proactive. It takes, you know what it takes? Here's a psychology term, emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is is being proactive. And that's that's tough to do because, in fact, some companies, when they're doing well and, and they want to save money, the first people they let go are the safety people. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's very sad because they don't see the big picture. They're not system thinkers. They're just narrow-minded thinking, soon certain positive consequences. That's what I'm after. I'm gaining what I can gain now. They're not thinking of the long term. That takes emotional intelligence. See, I had to tell you to this day when I go back and take a listen to some of the older episodes, I struggle because of the sound quality. But that was such good information that Scott was sharing there on that clip. And this is some of these gems that I've been able to find as we're doing this retrospective. I'll tell you, I try to sit here and go through every single episode. And I said, there's just no way. There's too many episodes to be able to go through. And this will make this way too long. And I don't want to sit here and kind of give you a readout of every single episode that we ever recorded. Because I think that might be a little bit difficult to do as well. Over the next few episodes, though, it became interesting. The following episode, we had James Kendrick come on. And then we also had a song from a country singer by the name of Jay Allen. Yeah, we kind of found him because of my name, of course. But it was a very interesting song. Now, I will tell you, till this day, the episode with James Skipper Kendrick and Jay Allen, the country singer, not me, is the most downloaded episode of the podcast. I always have found that very interesting in regards of that. And when I look at this episode or listen to the episode, Skipper gave such great information. I had just discovered him at the American Society of Safety Engineers before they did the name change. He had covered in one of his classes so much information that I was truly impressed on what he had to share. So let's take a listen to some of this. Is I don't subscribe to this thing of safety first. Our business is satisfying the customer, the mission. It's making money. If we don't do that, we're not in business. But I'm not suggesting that safety's last either. That if we can pull together and understand what we are, understand the elements of business acumen, understand the management tools that are already in their toolbox, and just apply them to safety as we apply to each of the other elements of the business, then we don't have to put safety first. It's definitely not last, but just treat us equal so that safety is an equal part of your culture, just as the other elements of this business acumen would be. And if so, um, I think we'd be far, far better off rather than trying to do something for business and then doing something for safety. The next few episodes were pretty interesting as well. We got to interview some different people doing some different things. Got to enter also interview a very close friend of mine by the name of Steve Sisson, who ended up coming onto the station and started his own show, Safety Talks. And that show ran for about a year before Steve had to actually leave and start doing some other things, which was totally understood. But right after Steve Sisson's interview, I was able to do an interview with Dr. Todd Conklin. Now, this was an interview that I had been pursuing for a little bit of time. 
trying to get it all accomplished, so I was very in shock when Todd agreed to come on to the show, not realizing at the time how much things were going to change for me because of this one interview with Dr. Todd Conklin. Take a listen here on what happened. As you answer some of these questions, I mean, just out of curiosity, how did you come up with the concept of human organizational performance? So the name's really interesting. I'm, I'm not in love with that name by any stretch of the imagination. But when they started the program, Impo and and really, I mean, it's been a, there's a lot of people to thank. James Reason was a part of this, and and the Institute for Nuclear Power Operations. That's Impo. They were a part of it. Tony Mashara, Shane Bush. Um, there's a whole bunch of names in there. We used to call it human performance, and uh, and human performance is really good unless you're in the nuke industry because then you couldn't use the abbreviation HP because that actually stood for health physics. So we started calling it HU, and that didn't really work as well either. And when it started rolling out of the nuke industry into the rest of the world, this is a long time ago, there was some real pushback around calling it human performance, partially because it was kind of getting confused with human factors, and that's fair because the definition we use for human factors in the United States is quite different than the definition that's used for human factors in Europe. So there was some confusion there. And then there was this notion that it was still pretty focused directly on workers and that unions really had a hard time with rolling out a program called human performance because it focused on their members. So they, uh, they spread out the idea and said, well, let's call it human and organizational performance and really, uh, a guy named Kurt Kruger, um, who's, a, who's a blast from the past name, he sort of coined the phrase because he was doing a lot of work in Europe at the time and, and saw that that potential name sort of being a part of, of the, the new angle. It's also got, the thing about these new ideas is that what you call them, it's, it's kind of like a, a movement, right? What you call them is sort of organic. So. For a long time, we called it New View Safety or Safety Differently. That's a name that's kind of sticking now. But what it really is, is it's safety that's focused away from sort of the big three. We don't we don't see the workers as a problem. We see the workers as a solution. When you see the workers as a solution, then you want to go out and ask the workers what they need. And what really happens is we change the definition of safety. So traditionally, and a lot of people that are listening to this, we'll tell you that safety is measured by the absence of failure. So we actually measure the OSHA reportable numbers, TRC and DART rate. We measure how many people we hurt. And obviously if you hurt a lot of people, you suck at safety, but if you hurt fewer people, then you're really super good at safety. Well, that is kind of a notion of looking at safety as an output to be achieved or an output to be managed. What HOP does or what human performance does is it actually redefines safety, not as an output, but as a capacity. So safety's not an end product, safety's the way you do the work. So think of capacity the way you think about a gas tank in your car, is that you manage the amount of gas you have based upon the trip you're gonna take. So if you're gonna take a long trip, you want your tank to be full because you don't wanna run out of gas because if you run out of gas, you can't function. So you manage the capacity, you manage the ability to fail and fail safely. So as we continue down the path here of discussing what has happened so far with Safety FM over the last two years, at this particular point in this retrospective, this is when I had the opportunity to meet Jill James. Now she hosts a podcast known as the Accidental Safety Pro. I found that podcast 
and I surely did fall in love with how she actually had it structured. And she was someone I wanted to get on the show right away and see what we could do together, potentially in the very near future. And this is how it turned out. Accidentally, like uh, <laughs> like many of us in the, in the profession, I was finishing up my undergrad degree in community health education and I needed to find an internship. And this was the um, early 90s and the job market was pretty competitive. And I was looking at a list of internships and seeing things like American um, Red Cross, Lungs, associations like that. And um, at the very bottom of the list, I saw Department of Transportation and I thought, and it said safety. And I thought, well, nobody's going to want that. What safety? That sounds totally boring. It won't be competitive. I'll be able to get that internship and I'll be able to get my degree done. And so um, I contacted the Department of Transportation, applied for the internship. I got it and uh, found myself at a DOT office learning about workplace safety for the first time. My undergrad program had had one class on safety, but it was more like sort of personal safety stuff, not industrial safety. And uh, when I got to the DOT, all of the um, safety directors around the state who are assigned different regions were telling me, um, hey kid, everybody called me kid because I'm in my early 20s. Hey kid, you should go to the University of Minnesota. You should get your master's degree in safety like we did. And then you'll be able to get a job and you'll be able to pay off your student loans. And this isn't that bad of an industry and you should do that. And so I, you know, I learned enough about what workplace safety might be about to go, yeah, okay, maybe I'll take all these guys' advices. And when I say guys, I mean guys, all men um, who had those jobs at the time. And uh, that's what I did. I went to the university and got my master's degree in industrial safety. And while I was doing that, my family was asking me, since I was the first person to ever go to college in my family, they were asking me, what do you, what are you going to, what kind of job are you going to get with this? Like, what is that? And I said, I don't know. I suppose I could work for like OSHA or something. And, um, and I was finishing up my degree and needed to find another internship and found one at the Department of Military Affairs working at a military base. Um, so the further down the path I would go, the more people I would find. And man, I was all confused on what to do next, on who to have come on and who to interview. And we had quite a few people come on. And then we started to get a waiting list in regards to people who wanted to come on and share their stories and what was going on inside of the world of safety. Around this same time, I discovered this great person, this great teacher, and I gave her a call and asked her if she'd be willing to come on to the show. She agreed to it. So listen to this portion of my interview with Andrea Baker. So when you go in and you start having the conversations and you try to tell them how it applies to real life, uh, opposed to you know just being the work side, and then you turn around and you tell them that the new view of safety is a philosophy and not a program, how does that conversation normally go? Uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure that people understand or even have a good frame of mind to understand that it's not a program until maybe after the entire discussion. So um, I currently tell people sort of upfront in the discussion to try to create a, a, a new paradigm or at least a, a new schema in somebody's mind of, you know, this isn't the traditional, um, you know, we train these these groups of people and then we write these 
you know, procedures and we roll out these tools and um, that it doesn't quite work that way. Um, I don't think that it clicks with people um, until we discuss it again at the end after all of the discussions and then that people see um, that it is these concepts are embedded in everything. Um, I also use some some visuals from um, the Matrix to help understand that it's sort of <laughs> there's a lot of truth behind the truth, um, and and that that sometimes helps people see that this isn't just uh, how we view this through safety. It's kind of how we view the world. Um, but yeah, I don't know that it sticks originally. I don't think it does. I really don't because it didn't for me. Um, I personally tried to roll it out as a program first uh, because I didn't have any other map. I, no one had ever told me that I was trying to make a culture change. It actually wasn't until I, I um, started doing some research on culture change that I even understood that there could be a map somewhere on culture change. And um, UNICEF taught me a lot about that. Uh, they have some public uh, documents that are available on the web that you can just read through and they, they talk about how they plan out a, a social norm change within a country. Uh, and that started to give me a little bit of hope that you could do it within an organization. So if, if a group of people can go into an entire country where they don't control the means of communication and they have to, you know, sort of beg, borrow and steal even to get a message out to people and they are successful in changing uh, the understanding of the world for an entire country, then you know, I think we can do it within an organization where we have a captive audience um, and we also, you know, have not an entire uh, spectrum worth of individuals working there, right? We just have the individuals that we've hired. So we've already got a natural filtering process of the people that are working there. Um, so, yeah, so I, until you give people a new model, um, I think it is very hard to picture what a culture change looks like. And I have to tell you, during the next interview, it was quite interesting. Here's what ended up taking place. I had a scheduled interview that was supposed to take place. And all of a sudden, at the last moment, the person had canceled. We release episodes on Tuesday because you've been following along for a while, so you already know this. And it was Monday afternoon. So I'm having my panic moment going, what am I going to do? I don't have anyone to interview and we have an episode that's supposed to come out tomorrow. So I go into the social media aspects and I say, hey, if there's anyone interested in being interviewed, please reach out and let's see what we can do together. And this is how Rob Fisher from Fisher Improvement Technologies came into my life. That's great. That's, 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 that's a really good quote. And so years ago, that was what we did. We started building those bridges um not for people to abandon their paradigm I, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit controversial here and you know you have different people in the different uh camps that are saying oh the, the pyramid's wrong it's it's not right I, i'm not going to say whether it's right or wrong that's not for me to say but i know that if somebody's sitting there and they believe in it and I want them to believe something different. I have to draw. I have to draw that path for them, and it has to make more sense. I can't just tell them you can't believe like you've believed for thirty years. You need to get on board and believe this way. So our job, as an individual in the beginning and now as a company, has been to draw those bridges to change the paradigms, and it can be done very, very quickly. Um, that's the other. Uh, I think. Miss, 
Um, I think a lot of people miss how quickly that can happen if you give people the science behind the bases of the new paradigm that you want them to move. So this one was a little bit more difficult to come about. This young lady had been on another show. Actually, she was on the Accidental Safety Pro, and I had heard her. And I was so interested on getting her on to the show here that I reached out to Jill James, who in return reached out to Todd Lachine, who in return reached out to Katie Romo to have her on the show. And boy, was I intrigued with what she had to say. And I would love to share a little bit of the hard conversation with you right now. I kind of built this this way of operating where, you know, you lean on me and I'll lean on you and it'll work out pretty well. And um, a couple of years ago, I kind of got to this point where, you know, and I think I told Jill this, you know, you can't play anybody as well as you can play yourself. And I, I found that, you know, being like everybody else just wasn't really working for me. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to do some things my way. And sometimes it's backfired a little bit, but uh, a few years ago I had to do um, root cause training for incident investigations. And I really, I just didn't feel like using the same incidents that we talked about for years. So I decided that I was going to do um, a root cause analysis of Jurassic Park. And at first everybody kind of looked at me like I was insane. They were like, is this is this really happening in safety training? And I was like, yep, we're, we're going to go there. Let's talk about it. And some people were not really into it. But, you know, everybody kind of understands the gist of Jurassic Park. I think, you know, there's these dinosaurs and, it, you know, they all escape. And, you know, we, we have to get through it and survive. And um, it turned into um, quite an adventure. I shared it with some of my coworkers and um, some of the other EHS professionals were like, yeah, people in my class, like, I had to call time because they just couldn't stop arguing about what the real root cause of this this incident was. And, you know, it's something I never would have thought to to create, but I'm really glad that you shared that. And I'm like, oh, okay, good. My weirdness is finally paying off a little bit. So, you know, sometimes I, I just try and like, you know, what would I like to do? Not everybody likes to sit through safety training for the 50th time. So I'm just like, you know, I'm kind of tired of talking about the same stuff. So let's do something different. And um, sometimes it goes really well and other times it really backfires. But, you know, I like it. This interview ended up being one of those very strange opportunities that occurs in life. I remember this very vividly still. It was a weekend. I was going around online and I was taking a look to some different courses that were available online. I like to do a lot of investigation when it comes to course availability on different aspects. And all of a sudden, I found this course about safety consulting. I decided to reach out to the person that had created the course and have a conversation with them because I had also realized at the same time that this particular consultant was putting out a podcast. And this is how I discovered Sheldon Primus. And it has been a definitely interesting ride since I've met Sheldon a year or so ago. Well, I, I will tell you, when I started getting involved with safety, safety was not considered a glamorous job. And I mean that in the best of ways possible, but that was a, a piece that you were interested. So when you started doing it, what do you fall in love with? Yeah, for me, it was um, 93, 94 was right around the time period there. And what I actually got into it 
and the reason I I started to think more about it was because people started asking me to give them their my opinion on something safety and health, or I had to go and direct something safety and health related, and I had no clue. So I had to dig in and learn how to do that and, and how to understand hazards and what to look for and how to give qualified opinions. And that's it, it kind of uh, awoken the 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 inner person in me that loves technical things and detailed things so the detail of safety was really what got me hooked well i will tell you normally we try to do exactly what the safety fm listeners want or the safety fmers however you want to call them and there was a demand a request a conversation piece that kept on coming on that kept on coming about the name was referenced over and over again. And that name was Eldine Posniak. People kept on telling me that I needed to interview her, that I would enjoy it, and that she had a point of view from psychological safety. So here's a portion of that interview. Well, I mean, when, when you have a presentation that's called 11 and a half points of BS to leadership, you're definitely not trying to be the typical, um, the typical presenter there for sure. Right, because you know that the BS means being safe. Well, depends on where you find it. Depends where you find it online. Some some places say bold strengths, and some other places said, "Well, you know what it said." Again, that, that that's the part of getting people's attention. And and I've had some workplaces, and I've had some conferences that you know they they say we like your concept. You you've got to change the title, and I change the title. Um, other conferences they they want that they they want to be able to to grab people's attention and 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 take it forward. Well, I think starting off with that, you'll definitely get people's attention. So as you know, as we go down the path of safety, there's always the question that comes up of what version of safety do you teach or do you believe in or however you want to word it? So what side of the house do you see yourself in? Do you, what, cat, what, what do you categorize as safety? Oh, my gosh. Um, I know. I, li- I like to ask the odd questions. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, and, you know, and, and it's a timely question. I'm, I'm going into a presentation next week, actually, where they're wanting me to talk a, a bit about traditional safety aspects and, and how that matches or doesn't match with safety differently, safety 1.0, 2.0, and, and so forth. And, um, and, and I think when you have... Uh, so many different safety professionals writing books and and out on the on the, the stream that's there and, and is that you have to be able to look at everything from the good old bird um, <laughs> traditional lost control approach which is still being taught out there to, you know up to uh some of the the newer concepts um <clears throat> Personally, I guess maybe because of my psychology background, when behavior-based safety came into place, I went, wow, you can tell a behaviorist didn't say this is what we should title it because they would have known that that was a bad title to give it. As soon as you tell people you don't like their behavior or that we're going to look at their behavior, they automatically shift it to a negative connotation at least a large percentage of the group will do that, especially based upon their own definitions that usually as children, we were told, you know, be, be good. Don't be bad. Your behavior isn't the best. And so, um, I, I think a lot of the concepts that we, we grew into with 
BBS, um, I think had some good components to it, had some good philosophy with it, but maybe the title was bad. <laughs> um, it put a bad taste in people's mouths before we even talked about the concepts that were there. And now as we're going into more of the positive reinforcement and the engagement and the um, aspects of safety differently and safety 1.0 and uh, 2.0, uh, I think that that's where we've matured and clarified that we need to talk about what motivates people and we have to engage them appropriately and not only look at the negative aspects of health and safety, but focus on uh, more positive aspects that are there. I, I think that it's it's sort of a maturity um, in our profession to how we look at those those kinds of aspects. So, am I a, a true Heinrich girl um, with the pyramid and and uh, philosophy? No, I, I think we've outgrown that as a safety profession. I think we need to look at it and and see why we believed in that and why we thought that that was a, a good way of expressing health and safety at the time. Um, there might be still some components that we can can talk about, um, but it's probably not where I where I uh, hang my hat at the moment. I'm probably more into the uh, positive safety culture engagement um, aspects. So this next one became pretty interesting and pretty quick. A lot of people kept on reaching out to me and said, I would like to have a better understanding about human and organizational performance. So I would give some general directions on where you could find more information. But what this caused inside of me at the same time too, was I wanted to find out additional information. And I wanted to really go to the people that had really established human and organizational performance back in the day from the Department of Energy. So over the next few months, we started taking some deep dives into human and organizational performance. We compiled a lot of interviews and it turned into this right here. How did it all start? Where did it come from? Now hear the story of human and organizational performance, how it happened from some of the people who were there. Todd Conklin, Shane Bush, Lamar Palmer, Earl Carnes. Listen to this multi-part series on Safety FM. I have to tell you, there's so many interviews in between some of these that we're not discussing. But at this point, over the next few, I was able to go to this thing called SunTracks, where they're actually testing autonomous vehicles out on some test tracks here in the state of Florida, which was really exciting. And then I was able to also go to a university, which is the University of Central Florida, and do an interview there with David Metcalf and Glenn Cook and talk about some of the discoveries that they are doing inside of the lab there. And some of the things that they were testing with autonomous vehicles was able to tour the lab. A lot of great information came out of there. Well, as we get into this next interview, and I wanted to let you know about it, this was one of the founding fathers, as like I like to call them. And this was the interview that I had with Shane Bush. And he talks about how it all started for him in this world of human performance. In the early days, I honestly didn't even know what I was saying in explaining the performance modes because I've learned so much about performance modes, which is basically the mindset or the mental model people use. Uh, Todd and I quite often look at each other and like, 
what did we even say back then? Because we learned so much. So has it changed? No. Has it improved? Absolutely. Has it actually taken on a life of its own as far as uh, taking it from reducing errors to actually increasing significant production by learning how to fail safely? And it's the, the new way of looking at human error because originally it was all about eliminating human error. Eliminate it or at least eliminate the consequences of it. Now what we're doing is we still don't, we always got to stick to the the fundamentals. And that's the thing I always judge people's presentations against. Are you sticking to the fundamentals, but telling us how we can improve that? And if, if, if they're sticking to the fundamentals, then I'm real interested. But if they've taken it in a whole new direction and got different terms and different, um, then I'm concerned because as you know, with anything, once it starts morphing, then it just doesn't look the same. But the people that are doing the best with this, the Conklins of the world, Michelle and all them, are the ones that are now taking human performance from not just reducing unwanted outcomes related to human error, but they're increasing human ingenuity. Now, that is a really large leap. So now what we're seeing is companies not only eliminating, but they're actually providing safeguards. We call them rumble strips, a term Todd coined on the interstates. We give them rumble strips and then... It's amazing the fixes the employees can come up with. Uh, so we let them fail safely. And then those companies that actually look at it from that perspective, rather than zero accidents, zero incidents, are actually having better success than those focusing just on the outcome. This one was another popular request one. As I kept on going around on social media, I kept on getting messages about interviewing this following young lady. She kept on putting out videos via LinkedIn. She kept on also putting out videos in Spanish via LinkedIn. So people were intrigued that she was doing it in multiple languages. So they asked me to reach out to her and do an interview. And of course, that's what we do around here. We always want to be able to serve you, the Safety FM listeners. So this was the interview that we had with Joe Pina. Well, the interesting part is that you, I had the one of the first videos that I got to see was you actually reviewing a PPE, and I w- and you went into detail about it. And I and I believe, if I remember correctly, the one that I was watching, you were inside of your vehicle as you were doing the recording. If I remember correctly, if I don't, please don't hold it against yeah. me. But you were going over the information, and and then what you were, you know, what your thought process about the whole thing was. And it was such a different concept because I'll tell you, a lot of the people that I get to interact with, they don't go about it in regards of giving detailed information of what their thought process is and keep in mind that a lot of the we'll say safety experts that are out there normally have a sponsor or someone behind them so of course i might have the greatest product because of course they're also paying me but that's not the approach that you're taking so as you're seeing people kind of interact with you as you're doing this what's your i guess what's your end goal if you don't mind me asking are you trying just to kind of bring this to light i know that you referenced that some of the things on linkedin are dry but what are you trying to accomplish are you trying to I guess, accumulate all of this information and then really be able to kind of have like a one place or one stop shop where people can come to and go, okay, well, this is a review of what what you've seen and this is probably what I should go with. You know, that's a good question. I would say that it's evolving. (laughs) This has been a project that I've taken on. I, I don't recall when my last video was posted, but it's been about two months. And I'm, I'm learning as I go. I'm, I'm looking to see what people get excited over. Uh, I don't necessarily have an end goal because, again, this is so relatively new. I would consider this more of a pilot, uh, see if it works or not. Uh, but my ultimate uh, purpose, I should say, is to provide information 
information in a way that people can understand. I, I've had uh, people from all over the world send me messages asking, hey, Joe, what do you think about this? Uh, should I inform my upper management about this particular issue? Or, Joe, how is it that you were able to become CSP? Can, can you send me some links uh, for resources? So being available for, for that network, for that safety network, I think it's really satisfying to me, and I like uh, the engagement and the fact that I'm able to provide something of value in two minutes or less or three minutes or less is very satisfying to me. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm enjoying being able to contribute to the safety world in a way. So this interview right here was an interview that was presented to me by Todd Conklin. He had recommended reaching out to Regina McMichael, the safety training ninja, and to have her on the show because she has a very interesting story. So here's part of that interview. Yeah, it wasn't a secret per se. It just didn't come Mm -hmm. up in conversation. It's not how I started conversations Um, because it... It, it blows people away and it's not as shocking now because there's there's some preface before I you know go into a room or, or speak to a speak to a group but you know back then particularly when I was still quite young you know if I if he'd only been dead three years and I told someone that you know it, it it's a big burden on them you know they're like what do I do with her and so I just you know kind of kept it to to people close to me and then people in the profession who truly needed to know in order to understand maybe you know some decision making that i have or some input that i have but i don't think anybody at uh, at osha knew or if anybody did it was one or two people i don't really recall but it wasn't it wasn't a lot of the people that i worked with at the agency they didn't know the details and uh and most people i work with to this day people i've known for 25 30 years walk up and they're like i didn't know that i'm like "Eh, i didn't bring it up in conversation very much so (laughs) it is like i'm and i'm saying it now to a national audience (laughs) and i've been saying this for a national audience you didn't tell me gee how do i feel right say that again say that again i'm sorry the the, the whole portion on how they felt in regards of you're saying it to a national audience and that's really how they ended up finding out i mean Yes, in in many cases. And it was it it was interesting because these these longtime colleagues suddenly saw a a different level of um, of my commitment to the profession, but also I think a different level of empathy. They kind of understand a little bit differently, uh, perhaps what some of my motivations are. But it's also very interesting because I think certain people might assume that I will take a position or a perspective on the safety profession because of my history. And I've really kind of prided myself on trying to be uh, the best of all the best safety people, meaning, uh, yes, uh, you know, I was the wife left behind. But I also acknowledge that, you know, if the industry is behind on something, one company, it's very hard for one company to be the first one to do the very best. So I have to tell you, with this particular interview, this interview took the longest amount of time to be able to occur. I had reached out to this young man in regards to being on the show. Didn't hear back anything from him. Then I heard something back and then we went back and forth and then it went dormant. I don't think it was done intentionally. I look back at it now and we both chuckle about the whole thing occurring. But after almost a year of going back and forth at different periods of time, I finally got to have my interview with the safety pro himself, Blaine J. Hoffman. Little did I know at the time that that was going to lead to him potentially joining 
the Safety FM Network. So as you get to see so many of these different concepts of safety, and, we'll, and I'm using now air quotes here to, to follow you, but <laughs> I, as, I, as you see the different concepts that are out there based on the different organizations, and you kind of have to tailor what you do when you go out and you speak with people and how you actually take the approach to your podcast. What are your beliefs and concepts when it comes to safety? Oh, man. So it's it's pretty straightforward. Safety, it, you know, I, maybe I get this from the fire service. I, I remember a captain telling me once, he had a lot of little one-liners. You talk about one-liners. I should do a podcast of just his one-liners. But he had a, a few gems. One of them was, he, he told me, safety doesn't, or I'm sorry, not safety, an accident doesn't care how long you've been on the job. Doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care if you're a good person. Doesn't care if you're a man or a woman. Doesn't care if you're young or old. An accident does not care who you are. All an accident needs to happen is on some level for it to be allowed, to be permitted. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, let me break it down. And he goes into this long spiel. This is a very long conversation we had about, you know, individual choices, individual experiences, background, knowledge, education, um, how long how long you have been doing this particular task. Um, that accident doesn't care if it's your first day or if it's your 31st day or 30 year, 30th year. Um, then he talks about, well, what about the organization? You know, how prepared is the organization for the work that they're asking you to do, uh, the industry that they're in? Um, you know, he would bring up roofers a lot and say, you know, you would think a roofing contractor who specializes in just roofs would know about fall protection. You know, that, but you would be shocked to find this at the time, mid 90s. You'd be shocked to find a lot of roofers, roofing companies. <laughs> um, don't. You go, you look and they, they couldn't tell you the first thing about fall protection. And their job every day is to get up in the air. You know, and so you think they would know. So he kind of broke down this whole all the way from the individual to the organization and everything in between that could go wrong. And he liked to couch it in this phrase of if it's permitted. Now, he doesn't mean willful or willingly, but, you know, even, you know, unknowingly sometimes. So that kind of set my mind that created a mindset for me early on. He influenced you know my approach to this as, you know, you, we've got to be a little more holistic about how we look at incidents, accidents, when we look at mishaps, we look at, you know, root causes and then contributing factors to those root causes. And how deep can we get? You know, it's almost like a challenge. How deep can we really go to find how far back we could have intervened to prevent this? Well, the next interview was quite fantastic. And, and I know that we're skipping around, so I want to make sure that I'm very clear as I share this with you. But this interview that I got to do next was a deep dive with the New Zealand twist, the Kiwi himself, Brent Sutton. Take a listen. Now, if it's 2002 and you're having this conversation with people that are leaders or of an organization, how are they actually responding to you by you to saying this information to them? Oh, that I'm married. <laughs> I would imagine so. It's still a difficult. It's yeah. still a difficult conversation even today in 2019. Look, look, it is, and it sort of comes back to that. Um, 
you know, uh, risk management is the fundamental tenant for every business now. But I keep asking the question, what part of risk are you trying to manage? The, the thing that causes the harm or, or the people that are exposed to it? And organizations still can't tell me that today. Um, just, just yesterday, I, I, was, I was working um, with, with a group and uh, it was around um, uh, mental health, or as we like to say now, uh, psychosocial risks. And um, once again, that they, when we were talking about how we sort of manage risk or mitigate or control risk, um, they really thought that it was all about trying to control the person. And we talked about, you know, uh, doing things that help to influence systems so that those um, systems um, have that um, capacity, as uh, Todd would say, um, to support people so we don't put them in those same types of um, conditions. And, and they really struggle to get it. And I think that struggle comes from uh, the fact that uh, they don't have the level of knowledge that's needed and they also uh, don't listen or and don't engage with the people who are at being exposed to the hazard to begin with. This conversation was pretty interesting. I was able to speak with Miguel Bowman and he's so inspiring as a speaker and the detail and the love and the passion that he has for what he's doing. It's one that I listen back to pretty frequently. Well, well, let me ask a question there because so you all, so you're not, let's say, quote unquote, a default safety guy by choice. This is because no, of, this is no. because of your tie in because of the ministry, you decide that, you know, you want to be able yeah. to assist people. This is, I mean, it's very interesting. So how did you, I won't say sell, but how did you influence the owner to, to think that this was the, the right case scenario? Well, for me, I, I'm, I'm a quick study. And so, um, once you start to learn the CFR for mining, uh, for, for MSHA, you know, their rules and regulations, you kind of get to know uh, what needs to happen and what doesn't. And then I had the most fortunate, awesome opportunity to meet somebody by the name of Matt Bunner. And at the time, he worked for a company called Malzers that just got recently, uh, kind of last couple of years, bought out by Old Castle. But he, in my opinion, is probably one of the best safety guys in the Midwest, if not in the country. I, I love his program. I love his passion. I love what he does. And I just told him, yeah, he and I kind of got a rapport. And from that, he's like, you know, I can coach you and help you through anything. And, and Matt had nothing to gain from this either. You know, I, it's not like we were paying him or anything like that. He spoke at one of our safety events. And um, like I said, we got a rapport. And from that, and just having him in my hip pocket all the time, I just told my boss, like, there's nothing that I can't do. I absolutely 110% could do this. And I uh, jumped in there and and was very successful. And when I left to, to go to Turner, uh, you know, I was asked not to leave. <laughs> so that's always good. You know, mm -hmm. they're like, you know, we, we don't want you to leave. I think what you have to have in safety, and this is my biggest pet peeve, is safety cops. You know, uh, you have to have a love for people, a true love for people. I had someone one time tell me uh, that he was looking uh, for a new job and he was trying to get my advice and, and I give free advice all the time. I, I've talked to thousands of people uh, throughout the months just on advice on safety, advice on, you know, jobs and careers. And this guy was saying, hey, I want to be, you know, get another safety job. I said, well, what's your core beliefs? He said, I don't care if the guys hate me at the end of the day. 
He said, just as long as they go home safe. And I said, you know what, bud? I understand that mentality, but the fact of the matter is, if your people don't love you, and they know that you don't love them, they're never going to follow you. And they're always going to look for ways to get around the rules that you're trying to make to make them safe every day. And I always say this all the time. There's two types of leaders. The one that says, let's charge that hill. And everybody wants to shoot them in the back once they go up that hill. The other leader says, let's charge that hill. And all their people charge past him so he doesn't get hurt or she doesn't get hurt. And it's that kind of leader that you have to be as a safety person. That's the kind of leader that I aspire to be. And that's what made me successful at general drilling. And, um, you know, I think that if you could take that mentality wherever you go, it's a game changer, especially when you've got people's lives and the quality of their lives at stake every day, especially in mining and heavy construction. Those, you know, uh, you know as well as I do, those industries chew people up. And uh, we want to be there for them. You have to have a passion. If you don't have a passion, you're not going to make it. I don't care what your accolades say i've seen safety people that have every kind of certification after their name i mean it's their name but that all those you know all those beautiful letters and i think an education of safety is so important and so beautiful but if you don't know what it's like to live the lives of the people that are working in the field you're going to be no good as a safety person you're going to fail every single time you got to know i know what it's like to to come in there get in a piece of equipment watch the sun rise set and then rise again on the same shift and never go home. I know what that's like. And I learned a lot of things of what not to do. And uh, that's a hard way to be a safety person, by the way. It's not one that I <laughs> that I challenge anybody to do. Don't, don't go the hard way, but I've seen a lot of things. So before we get to this episode, we decide to change the name of the show from Safety FM to The Jay Allen Show. So that's why we say we have two years, of course. And the name change was really involved based around that we didn't want to cause market confusion with the name. We were using the network name as Safety FM and then the show name was Safety FM. So we knew that was causing some confusion. So we built it up for a little bit and then decided that we were going to let everybody know what was exactly going on at the time. So that was about episode 100. Then we kind of go a few episodes further up And we get to have an interview with Judy Agnew from Aubrey Daniels. So take a listen to this one. Well, let's talk about that for a moment, because I think that that's kind of a focal point there. Because if you're saying that people are starting to lose the way that they focus on things and then they're not getting correct data, because let's say, for instance, they're doing a root cause analysis Mm -hmm. or if they're doing a, a job observation, if they're not doing it to the way that it should be laid out, of course, the data that's going to come back is going to be incorrect. Exactly. So when you start seeing a lot of this occur, what can you do to help organizations to get, I guess, We'll say to get back on the correct path. Of course, I'm going to have some more questions, but I want to hear your concept on that. Bird. Yeah, well, and, and, and that's a that's a good question, because there's a lot of a lot of really great processes that I think organizations put in place that if people use them properly the way they're intended, it, it really would make a difference. Um, and what we do is we say, OK, if you're not getting the outcomes you want from whatever it is, incident investigations, near miss reporting is another great example Uh, If you feel like people are just kind of going through the motions, they're just pencil whipping, you know, the job safety analysis that they're doing, then you've got to look at, well, what happens to people? How are we setting them up to do it? Are we giving them the time to do it? Do they have the training? All those kinds of things. But then what happens to them when they do it? 
if it's just a bunch of paperwork that they do and it goes into a black hole and they don't see any positive impact as a result of doing it, then, you know, they're likely to stop doing it. They're going to just quickly pencil whip it so that they can get back to the real work. And so a big part of what we do is say, you know, we've got to make this stuff meaningful for people. We have to have conversations with them about what they've done. You know, let's say someone does a pre-task risk assessment and they do a, a, a thorough job of it. If someone's there saying, tell me about this, tell me what you did. And then what adjustments are you making based on having taken the time to do this? So at this point, as I interview the following gentleman, he had already been on the station. He had already been on the podcast network, but I had found him a few months prior and I was excited about having him come onto the network and having him come onto the station. So here's my interview with our own in-house hop nerd, Samuel Goodman. Why did you decide to do a, a safety podcast? What was what was that you saw that was missing at the time that you said this is something that you figured that you needed to do? Well, I will I'll tell you, um, honestly, it was pretty selfish, I guess. <laughs> it just it seemed like a lot of fun. It seemed like something I wanted to do, number one. Um, you know, I, I'd been a nerd in audio and playing with A V stuff for a while, and I'd kind of put that down for a while as I'd kind of kind of got more focused in on my career over the past 10 years or so. Um, but then as I started to tune in and listen to other podcasts and, and really started to pay attention to stuff that was going on in the safety space outside of kind of my normal bubble, I was like, this, this is really cool. This is something that I would, I would really enjoy doing. It scared the crap out of me, to be honest with you at first. Um, so I put it off and put it off and put it off. And then eventually I'm like, okay, if it scares me, I should probably do it. So I just jumped into it and started playing with it. Um, so I'm really, I guess the short answer to that is, is, is that I would just really wanted to, to have a little bit of a hobby, I guess, to, to play oh, with I, it and I, kind of I, see I, where it went. I just thought the assumption was the ones you were listening to were so crappy that you said you just needed to create your own. So that's that's part two to that. that that's part two to the response. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, there's there's some great ones, obviously, right? There, there's, there's some awesome ones out there. Um, but what I found in the safety space in particular – uh, and it, it started, I started noticing it in, a, in organizations that I was associated with first, is that things were very. Um, oh, you blah. are so giving me a political answer. Let's blah, be- blah, I guess is the right <laughs> way to put it. Wait, here's, here's, here's the word that we coined. Um, the, the word that we coined uh, in my organization was we started calling it starchy. Okay. So it, safety was very starchy. It was very like pressed slacks and 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 polo shirts all all day, right? It was very starchy. Now, they recorded their podcast inside of the bathroom, and it sounded like it was echoing. And they wanted to give you all these stupid um, references to these numbers and these right. systems, and they sounded like crap. Let's just be realistic, because that's yeah, for what sure. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was boring. I have to tell you, I have enjoyed the last few. Well, for you, it's probably going to be close to an hour. To me, it's been several hours going through all these files, taking a listen to these different interviews. I really wish we had the opportunity to go over every single one, but I just know for the amount of time that the average podcast is, we're not going to be able to do that. There are still several podcasts that we should cover, but we will do that at a later date. Thank you for allowing us this opportunity to come into your car, your home, your workplace, wherever you listen to podcasts or the radio station. It's been very exciting last two years being able to do this. Without you, the safety FMers, there's no way that this would be possible. I would like to thank the different 
shows that we've had on the network, shows that are no longer here, such as the Safety Justice League, Safety Talks with Steve Sisson, The X Factor of Safety with Pedro Masil. I would also like to thank our current hosts that are still here on the station. The first person to ever take the risk and jump across the board, Tim Ludwig with his show, Insights into Your Safety Culture. We'd like to thank Mike Saddam with Crucial Talks, The Accidental Safety Pro with Jill James, The Essential Leadership Cycle Podcast with Rob Fisher, The Hop Nerd with Sam Goodman, The Safety Consultant Podcast with Sheldon Primus, the Safety of Work Podcast with Drew Ray and David Proven. The Safety Pro Podcast with Blaine J. Hoffman. And the Pre-Accident Investigation with Dr. Todd Conklin. Also, I'd like to thank some of the people behind the scenes that you don't get to see. You don't get to hear them on the airwaves. From our announcers to our producers to our family members that are willing to sacrifice their time with us for us to be able to do what we do here. I'm very appreciative of all of the support that my family has given me during this last two years of creating this thing. And last but not least, I wanna thank the Safety FM listeners. Over 24 million downloads, plays, and listens in two years. A number that I could have never fathomed on the day that I started this thing. Thank you for always being the best part of Safety FM. And that is the listener. Over the last bit, we have went in and out from different subject matters, different things and we will continue to focus on real safety talk. We're not going to be kind of playing the games anymore that we might have done on the station. Now we're going to focus on real safety matters. I appreciate you sticking through us during these times. And I appreciate everything that you do day in, day out to help promote our station. I have been your safety manager and host, Jay Allen. And we'll be back with another episode of The Jay Allen Show before too long. Goodbye for now. Want more of The Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.